Welcome back to Sis of Minestrivia, where I get sick because I drink way too much. Up this time, we have a we have a quick talk about Vim VI improved. We talk about the True Crypt audit and the efforts there. Talk about documentation, and we talk a little bit about alternate keyboard layouts. This is Brent. I'm Jonathan. And Jonathan is where where are you right now? <laughs> uh, I'm sitting in my office at work. Did you find the key? Did you manage to get it out? The key. What are you talking about? The key. You were you were playing with a key in our our pre-recording meeting. Oh yeah, no. So there's this drawer next to me, and there's just a key in it, and it it works fine. I just keep turning it. <laughs> but you're gonna stop doing that, right? Yeah, I just wanted to show everybody how great it was. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sounds good to me. Uh, Jathan did want to do a short little rant about Jawbone, but fuck his rant because this isn't his his soapbox. This is my soapbox, and he's just here for the ride and helping me rant about the things I rant about. Isn't that right? I mean, if you say so, I guess I'm not gonna <laughs> rant about Jawbone. But apparently, you should clue into my Twitter where I will rant about Jawbone. Yeah, what's your Twitter? Is it on your bio page? Yeah, it should be. If it's not, then it's your fault. I can't. I that's true. But I mean, I you I just put up what you put told me to put up. Oh, it might not be on there then. Well, I'm gonna check right now. Meanwhile, why don't you tell us what your Twitter is? What your Twitter handle is? Yeah. So my Twitter handle is Jr. Demacy. J R D E M A S I. Yeah. You can also find me at Facebook.com/slash Jr. Demacy. And someday you will also be able to find my blog at jonathandemacy.com, but right now, there's no blog there, because I'm too lazy to blog. Somehow I saw that coming. You know what? You don't have any personal links up, so we will change that. After the show, tell me what you want in, in IRC, and I'll, I'll put it up there for you. Okay, sounds good. Everyone, find me on Twitter. I'm a really happy guy. I like to bitch. That's all you need to know. And I'm the grumpy one. I'm, I'm the one that typically runs our Twitter. So if you see something complaining about something, like people not using GPG, chances are that's me. <laughs> so let's go ahead and actually talk about important things now. <laughs> we talked a little bit about the editor wars in... Oh, do you remember which episode? I think it was... I think it might have been episode three. Yeah, I feel like it was episode three or episode two. It was one of those. I could check right now, but I'm not going to make y'all wait. I mean, I could edit it out, of course, but whatever. <laughs> Whenever I start rambling like that, I think of Monty Python's uh, in the Holy Grail. It'll like, like the in whole the movie. <laughs> no, like in the unedited movie, it'll just like they. I don't know why they cut this out in some versions, but it'll cut to a scene with like a huge crowd standing in a field, just shouting, "Get on with it!" And I'll, I just have that stuck on my head whenever I'm in the middle of a rant. I'm like, okay, all right, I'm getting getting on with it. So VI is an editor from way back. I mean, it, we're talking like Unix days when, when Unix was an actual thing, not a marginalized thing in legacy mainframes and stuff like that. In its heyday, you had the AT&T Unix, which eventually evolved of sorts into BSD. You had the SCO Unix, uh, which is dead uh, because they tried suing Linux and they lost because they had no idea what they were talking about. Ooh, we should do that for a talk. We should do that, that for one of our episodes. Yeah, that'd be a good episode. Walk down memory lane. You know, you had all these different Unix variants way back when, before Linux even existed. And there was a text editor called, well, Ed, E-D. Uh, and it gave birth to, to two very important things. One was SED, which I use on a more than daily basis. I mean, I, I use it constantly. I, I love SED. I'm all about it. I'm too lazy to use that shit. <laughs> 
<laughs> I know. And then I'll show him, like, what you can do with a regex. And he's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's magic. And I'm like, no, it's just it's just a regular expression. Calm down. I'm working on it. It's just I don't have time to just sit and, like, learn regular expressions. Like, I can't just take a day to do that. Yeah. I mean, that's really like all it would take is a day, you know, and then you just use them. And the more you use them, the, the more you find better ways of doing things. Trust me, like, and, and not just you, Jathan, like for all of our listeners, presumably you're a sysadmin or a developer or someone in that sort of capacity, or you just, you know, do it as a hobby, whatever. Trust me on this, learn regex because it will save you so much time. It's it's just hugely time saving, especially if you're like a, a web app developer or otherwise and need to develop some kind of like input validation it's fantastic for that but moving along so said said was born from ed and said is the stream editor where it's basically like in place editing or or stream of text editing and then it also gave birth to vi vi is the visual editor and you swallow so loudly i'm gonna edit it out but it is so loud (laughs) it's like throwing my concentration off i'm gonna try and swallow as loud as as loudly as you the next time you're you're talking and and you'll see how distracting it can get where was i ed right okay so ed then gave birth the vi the visual editor uh and this was kind of groundbreaking for like unix environments because you now had an interactive editor where you could visually copy lines paste them see the text in generally a sort of WYSIWYG way instead of having to visualize it. Ed operates line by line, so it can be very hard to visualize text in that way. And if you if you can do it, kudos to you. I mean, you're you're probably the kind of guy that writes his own his own network sockets or something or or you know codes her own uh, display api or something like that. So kudos to you <laughs> for us mere mortals. Visual editing is is very handy. So VI did have some limitations, though. Not many, you know, I mean, as as far as what you need, but it just wasn't very friendly for day-to-day use. So then came VI Improved, and I don't know the license of either of those. I think VI is probably uh, under the BSD license, or maybe proprietary, I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure Vim is like a sort a quasi-proprietary, quasi-open source. I don't know. I, I have to check into it. I'll put it in the show notes. It's available in some form on just about any any Linux distribution. I'd say any Linux distribution. You can even get it in the OpenWRT rep- repositories. So Vim's taken vi and just made a lot of improvements to the regex engine to the display and buffer engine to the the way it handles like pasting of text and uh formatting it has syntax highlighting all this fancy stuff and it's very useful as a result of that because it's a it's a perfect perfect balance between an editor that just does one thing and that's edit text which is what you want and not making that hostile you know making it easier to edit that text without going like overboard like like i was talking about with emacs you know i'm obviously i'm a a vim fanboy if if emacs works for you that's fine just know that it usually has to be explicitly installed on linux boxes usually and administrators typically do not use emacs so they probably will not be installing it on the production server or even testing or staging server for you but if you want to like develop locally and and use emacs that's fine the problem is emacs also has like a uh a very 
I don't want to say friendly, but very more Windows-minded set of shortcuts and commands. It's all like Control-X, you know, Control-V, all these like meta key shortcuts. And in VI and Vim, it's done primarily through commands. So you would hit Escape to get the normal mode, and then you type a colon, and then the command, and any arguments to that command. Which is great, because it gets to... It, it lets you see what command you're calling, but it can be hard to remember all of them. And it can also be kind of hard to navigate because in traditional VI, in VI improved in Vim, you can use like the cursor keys and, and most of the time it just works. But in traditional VI, you need to use like JKL, semicolon. You need to use actual keyboard letters to navigate in normal mode instead of the, the arrow keys. But I did find something called the OpenVim tutorial. So openvim.com slash tutorial.html. I'll put a link in the show notes. And it's an interactive online Vim tutor, which is fantastic. You know, it's, you know, it, it, it teaches you the shortcuts, how to how to navigate. And going through that, I'd say it takes maybe, how long did it take you, Jathan? Um, the online one took me less time than the actual Vim tutor. So I'd say the online one maybe took me 20 or 25 minutes. Yeah, yeah, that's about right. You know, 15 to 30 minutes is, is probably all you need. And then you just practice use them constantly and uh, they just kind of get cemented into your brain because they're they're really not that complex it's just kind of foreign if you're not used to using yeah I mean there's a little bit of a learning curve but but not really yeah yeah I was, I was gonna say I'd say it's less commands and shortcuts to actually remember than Emacs I think yes so I did use Emacs for a little while just because I wanted to see like what the whole debate was about it was usable for me but Vim I think was easier still is easier and even now there's some Vim things things, some Vim features, some Vim commands that I never use, but I know they exist. Um, and I'm now that I'm like actually a sysadmin, they're becoming more and more useful to me. So every once in a while, I have to go back to the tutor or look them up so I can actually figure out what the command is. But yeah, by all means, I think Vim is easier for me and it's on all of our, our production servers. So I don't have to worry about installing Emacs just for me or anything else. Right. Or them maybe not allowing you to uh, allowing you to install emacs right well i mean i do what i want but <laughs> i do what i want <laughs> but vim also comes with vim tutor it's in section one of the man pages and it's it takes a little bit longer than the interactive online one but i'd say it's a bit more complex and it's actually done inside a vim session yeah, I've got two things to say about this, actually. So if you're just looking for a quick overview, I think the online one is actually better. Yeah. But if you want to seriously use Vim, or if you've been using Vim in a basic sense, but you don't know everything Vim can do, then I recommend Vim Tutor as opposed to the online, the openvim.com thing. Yeah, absolutely. If you plan on using Vim for any kind of scripting, like Bash or Python, or oh, I pity you, Perl, definitely use Vim Tutor. It'll it'll help you out along the way. But yeah, if, if you're just trying to learn it so you can edit config files and stuff like that yeah by all means use, use the online one or do them both whatever but the online one should just suffice if you're all if all you're doing is editing config files what else can we say about this um i mean i think the big thing is and you already touched on it is just getting those commands down and using them real time real use case scenarios and once you do that a few times you know once you use the replace a few times once you move around a few times using word movements or whatever else i think it becomes really second nature and it's a lot easier than than emacs and it's certainly better than nano for all intents and purposes right yeah i mean it's it's you'll you'll start to be amazed by what you're able to do in your editor once you learn vi well, vim at least you know what i want to see um i want to see a program that 
teaches touch typing, and I'm going to mention these in a second, for either QWERTY, Dvorak, or Colmac, and also teaches you how to like use VI in them. That would be my dream. One program that does all those things? Yeah, like teaches you both at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of extensive, and uh, it's it's not too extensive. It's I kind mean, of a it's... weird context, though. Like it is. Imagine being back in like middle school, or at least that's when I learned how to touch type. So being back in middle school, and the class is just like, okay, sit down, learn how to use Vim and touch type at the same time. It's just like, well, when is this ever going to serve me? Well, I mean, Vim's already a text editor, you know. And I guess if you were like in like, if they actually had sysadmin degrees, then I I guess that would be super useful for like you know sysadmin one hundred and one or something. But yeah, that's something we should talk about is like systems administration as a future degree path. Yeah, maybe another time if it ever will be. I don't think it will be, but I'll I'll talk more about that. Make sure you add it to the topic list. I'll add it. Okay. But I, I can sum that up by just saying that it's not a very rock star or glamorous position, and it takes a lot of responsibility and the ability to do something without any recognition. And because of that, it's not a very popular career choice. Yeah, so. I was just thinking about that the other day, too. And I'm sorry, this is like another sidetrack, but... Oh, we like, got time. All these people at the BioFrontiers Institute like rely on us to maintain their programs and get them set up on the cluster and everything. And then they go on and they publish a paper, a scientific paper. And when does my name show up in that paper? What the hell? I don't, I don't even want my name in a paper. I just want to fucking thank you every once in a while, you know? Uh, no, we get invited to like coffee hours and stuff like, oh, the IT team deserves to come. So that's pretty cool. Coffee hours? Well, they have like every month uh, or every week, I guess on Friday, like a different lab brings cookies in for the building. And we okay. get invited to those. I don't know. It's just like we have, we do have our own holiday. We have Sysadmin Day. But like. Yeah, but nobody knows about it unless they like <laughs> go on Twitter and they're friends with a sysadmin. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like what company do you know celebrates Sysadmin Day as opposed to like Secretary Day? Secretary Day, yeah. And everybody is like, oh, I have to get my secretary a card and some flowers. Yeah, exactly. And that. I don't want flowers, but I will take a card and something to eat. Yeah. And not to demean secretary's work because it's like it's it's very important. But like being a sysadmin is a lot, is a position of a much higher responsibility and a much higher workload and a much higher stress level than a secretary i may have made some enemies listening if you're a secretary but i mean it's it's true we frequently are working and or called into work on holidays and in the middle of the night and things like that and and you guys don't have to worry about that i'm not trying to play the victim card here or anything but there's a lot that goes to, into our career that a lot of people don't think about the fact that we also have to do that without any major recognition or thanks uh, is just a little bit frustrating to me, but whatever. I'm just gonna move on because <laughs> this is this is taking a depressing turn. Yeah, probably. probably. I still love it. I wouldn't give it up for the world. Fuck it, whatever. So the TrueCrypt audit finished finally, and yes, and the good news is, in summary, the encryption software does not contain any backdoors that could be used by the NSA or other organizations that they could find. Yeah, but I mean, they they tore it apart. So I'm pretty confident it's I, I trust their audit. I kind of grew out of TrueCrypt. I'm not really a fan of it anymore, just because of like they nerfed essentially their their command line support and stuff like that. So I'm not as much of a fan now in favor of like something like Luke's or, you know, Crypt setup. But, you know, I mean, it, for the everyday person, it's great. And I'm really happy that the True Crypt audit had such a positive result. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a step in the right direction. Even if you get people who, you know, they're using a Windows desktop, but they want to encrypt a USB key that has 
I don't even know what on it. At least TrueCrypt provides a way to do that in a relatively simple fashion. And I think that's important for, you know, spreading encryption as a, a common practice. And it's cross-platform. I mean, to yes. be fair, they're the, I'd say they're the only cross-platform disk encryption tool I would trust. But BitLocker, by the way, is pretty good. I, I don't think there's any known serious vulnerabilities to, to CryptLocker. But what are the, what's the Mac OS X one? I don't know. It, it has something and I can't remember the name of it. Like built in? Yeah, I can't remember the name of it, but it's... I mean, I'm, I'm on my Mac. I don't... It's not as good. Yeah, you, you'd have to Google it or something. I, I, I can't remember what the name is. Um, but yeah, it, I'm pretty sure it's part of OSX internals. Anyways, all that being said, all disk encryption. Oh, file vault? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's it. But that being said, we do want to take the quick time to now mention that every single disk encryption method out there every single one whether it's a, a proprietary pgp disk encryption thing true crypt looks with crypt setup file vault bitlocker whatever all of them are still susceptible to cold boot because that's just how they operate you can still potentially get keys from dump to ram image but that that's kind of the name of the game if someone gets physical access to your box you can generally assume that bad things are possible to happen right that being said, TrueCrypt is dead. Yep, that's the other sad part is there is no further development in terms of TrueCrypt because it is dead. Which is what prompted the audit in the first place. You know, people suspected that the NSA came down on them and encouraged them, shall we say, to end the project. Because it was out of nowhere. Like, I think it was like the project owner and the head developer or whatever posted an announcement to the site saying, you know, we're, we're dead, we're not going to be maintaining TrueCrypt any longer. It's open source, fork it if you want, but it's a mess so we don't recommend doing it instead we recommend you use, you use bitlocker but good news yeah so it, it turns out the at least the the nsa may or may not have coerced them to do that but the good news is the nsa doesn't have any backdoors in the code well that's not even the good news i was getting to but all right go ahead oh oh oh, oh the better news the better news is there is a fork and it's alive that's right. You want to you tell me about it? Well, I didn't do too much reading or research. I didn't try it out, but um, Cyphershed. So um, they have a wiki, wiki.cyphershed.org. It'll be in the show notes. Um, it seems like it's a, a fork of TrueCrypt. And if you're looking to get involved, it seems like they have really good documentation that talks about their coding methods and how they're organized and everything else. Which is what TrueCrypt absolutely lacked, which is why the audit took, what, like a year? Right. And so the goals of the project are on their wiki. And one of the things that makes me happy is it is one of their goals to secure the code through audits and basically through simplification. So, um, I mean, they also look like they want to play pretty nicely with other efforts. So looks, the open crypto audit project, stuff like that. So again, I haven't tried it, but I would be willing to. I think it's a cool thing that's happening yeah i meant to try it out but i, I did not it's cross-platform right I, I have it up in a tab here hold on let me it is yes it is cross-platform yeah which is fantastic and it looks like it even exists with a lot of pre-existing stuff too it pre you know it, it works with the uh, looks works with the open crypto audit project works with jelly g-e-l-i that's a new one to me as well as tc that's... play it's a block layer disk encryption system oh it's B it's free bsd's disk encryption wow they're even working with the bsders yeah and tc play is um i, I believe it's just to mount uh it's a bsd license TrueCrypt implementation that can open volumes and create volumes. And it, it looks like you can use it through DMCrypt. Yeah, that's what I'm seeing. 
Cool. Okay. So we'll we'll link to all those all those in our notes. You do you still not use disk encryption? I do on my MacBook and my phone. On your phone? Yeah. Huh. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I forgot and by by default now Android does. Yeah. yeah, I forgot about that. Like it's so non intrusive that I don't even <laughs> I don't even think about it. Uh, wait, wait. I'm verifying. I don't know now if it's encrypted. That'd be bad. Uh... No. You know what? Android was was saying they were going to do it, and then they they backed down from that. But I think it's still an option, maybe. Just not yeah, by I, default. Yeah, I think it's still an option. Okay, so under security encryption encrypt phone well it's just saying that my phone is not charged enough to do it but (laughs) (laughs) okay it sounds like it's easy to do um i don't know if it incurs any data loss obviously i don't have my phone encrypted but i don't i don't really really keep anything on my phone yeah i don't keep gpgs i don't even keep gpg private keys on there and they're protected by a password and and stuff you know yeah i'm I'm not too worried about that i mean yeah it sucks if your phone's stolen but i have my i can remotely enable my gps tracker if they decide to do that anyways so yes and me too and i can also just erase my phone remotely yeah that's one thing uh i mean apple and google both have that functionality now and as much as i would never buy an iphone I think it's a good step, again, getting people to be a little bit more thoughtful, safer, thinking about what happens. Like, oh, someone may have my phone right now. I'm at least going to erase everything. Yeah. That reminds me of a Twitter conversation I had earlier today, I think it was. It was the one I told you about. Yes. And it's now (laughs) in our show notes. Yeah. Well, no, it's in our it's on our scratch pad. It's not in the show notes, but it will be in our show notes. I know I saw it somewhere. Yeah, it's in the scratch pad. I was going to talk about it later, but I'll talk about it now. We've got a short episode, so, you know, whatever. So I had a an interaction with, I believe, a, a, a journalist or a producer, someone of that nature. And they linked to an article saying that email is insecure. For those of us that are systems, we know this. It, it's freaking plain text for Pete's sake. And also that you should stop sending attachments. And that's where I had to stop them. I'm like, hold up. There are probably at least five RFCs dedicated to making sure attachments are able to be sent along with email. Uh, For those that don't know, by the way, attachments are simply just appended to the email with a a certain header block as just base 64. That's it. So technically attachments are plain text too, because it's it's absolutely trivial to to decrypt base 64. So, you know, your your attachments aren't safe as well. So I, I, I saw the header of the article and I'm thinking like, all right, maybe they're worrying about like men in the middle with like injection and stuff. No, it was mostly about how you shouldn't send confidential information as an attachment in an email. And this we know. You can We know. We know, right. We know. And and that was the conversation I generally had. I was I said uh they didn't mention at all about GPG or PGP. Yeah, so I'm reading through your conversation with this person <laughs> now. Um it, it was friendly enough. It wasn't as aggressive as i can be sometimes i'm I'm just gonna say assertive it wasn't as you know like in your face as i can get sometimes it was generally a present pleasant neutral conversation you know i expressed displeasure at them not even mentioning pgp or gpg and they said like you know like that's that's not really something that the common person knows how to use and i expressed you know, I'll I'll post like a, a screenshot in case you don't have access to to the Twitters or something. But the Twitters, the Twitters. I'm an old man, dude. Whatever. But so you can see the whole thread there when I do that. You know, basically, it it came down to me expressing that I think the problem with GPG and PGP not being adopted and implemented on a wide scale is because there's this. If they've heard that about them at all, they've heard that it's complex and unusable, and that's just flat out false. We need to do two things. I think we need to first erase 
embrace that fear because it's not true. It really is not true. You've got tools like Enigmail, Seahorse, which is like GNOME's key manager, basically. There's one for KDE, but I don't use KDE, so I don't know the name of it. I'll put it in the show notes. Countless other Linux GPG frontends. I'm sure they're for the BSDs as well. You've got GPG4Win, the Windows GPG project, GPG tools for Mac OS X. You've got all these absolutely usable, great GUI frontends for GPG. They're not being used because people never bother with GPG in the first place. They're, they're still operating under this false assumption that it's that you have to use the command line and that it's it's very difficult to do so, which really is, is not true. And it kind of breaks my heart. But then the other part of that is we also need to basically tell people about GPG. It's like, hey, yeah, the NSA is spying on your shit. That's the bad news. The good news is they don't need to. Like, you you can use this thing and it's still perfectly legal to, to communicate with your peers. And it's, like, it's more trustworthy than a physical signature. I Honestly, I wish I could, like, sign my bag documents and stuff with a GPG signature because I trust that a lot more than I do uh, a regular signature, a physical signature. Because it's 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 so easy to forge that shit. You know, so it's, it's a lot more trustworthy. It uses the web of trust model so you can inherently trust the signature of other people's just because they know other people you know all sorts of really handy stuff but i mean people never talk about it because they just assume that it's it's overly complex and i mentioned this earlier probably season what episode one i think it could have been episode zero for all i know (laughs) yeah it was it was one of those it was very early on though yeah yeah, it was one of our, like, the first or second episode. I mean, we're still technically early on. This is only season, uh, episode five. But <laughs> it was, like, the first or second episode, and I, I talked about a Slashdot article with uh, Moxie Marlin Spike. You know, he said, like, GPG's dead, you know, and, and it's it's not necessary or something. That kind of culture, that kind of attitude is preventing... G- it's not doing anything to kill GPG, so I don't know why you're still trying. If anything, though, it's it's just preventing its growth. You are your own... You're causing the thing you're complaining about. So shut up and start educating people on how easy it actually can be to use with the GUI tools and everything. Oh, maybe, uh... Maybe that's something we should set out to do. I mean, yeah. as much as you and I have talked about this and joked around, and uh, for what it's worth, in the past, we have communicated via XMPP that was encrypted. And I know you sign all your emails. I don't personally, but I also am really careful about what I send through an email. Which you can't always do, though. So that's that's why I prefer to use a dedicated mail client and GPG. Right. I just wish there was a way to like make people understand and to make it widespread overnight. And I know that's not realistic, but, but even if I could, you know, convince 100 or 200 or 300 people that it was a good idea and each one of those people convince three of their friends that would be such a huge difference yeah i mean you know what like i maybe i'll do like a a little webcast or something on on how to get started with gpg i'll have to see how to do it in windows uh because i don't know windows at all and mac i guess i don't know mac either i'll do your windows one for you okay cool and mac i can probably still use ffmpeg cool yeah so so maybe keep an eye out for that maybe uh maybe over the summer that sounds like a good summer project for us to do that yeah i mean i'll definitely have more time on my hands once school's out in another three weeks so cool and i mean if you personally listeners have any suggestions in terms of you know what are your practices what's made it easier for you to to utilize encryption as much as you can or do share that with us let us know because uh, seriously this is something we talk about a lot just personally and i just want to do something about it yeah exactly and and maybe like maybe that's as easy as us making some kind of script that 
takes care of like half the process for you i don't even know well no i mean my point is like the the gui programs they'll generate a key for you and and everything the more so i'd say it's understanding why and we've we've talked about this a lot every time he he brings up encryption and like and his frustration that people don't use it you know i i tell him why and it's it's because the general populace doesn't understand the need for it you know they won't use something unless they know that they want it or need it which is just general marketing theory our podcast is going to get flagged by the nsa oh but what (laughs) Dude, if if the, if we're not flagged by now, we're never gonna get flagged. I'm sure we're absolutely flagged by now. Hi NSA, <laughs> but um, no, I mean, I'm not worried about it. We're still within our rights as, as civilians and, and citizens of the United States. The important thing, I guess, to take away from that is don't be afraid, you know. And if you want to get started with GPG, join join in our IRC channel, and I'll I'll personally help you get started. If you're on Windows, I may need to take a couple minutes beforehand to boot up a Windows VM, but I do have most of the process of like getting a, a software installed and. Uh, using it documented already on our show notes wiki mostly it's it's geared around verifying our show notes files i said this on twitter like two days ago i think we're the only podcast that offers gpg signed episodes so you know holler to us but uh (laughs) that's what it comes down to though sign everything if you're able to if you're sending to someone else who uses GPG, encrypt everything. Encrypt recipes. I retweeted that. I retweeted or favorited that on, on our Twitter. Someone posted that. And I'm like, amen. Amen. Don't make it easier for the NSA to destroy your rights. That's, that's, why would you do that? That's absurd. Don't give them that kind of leeway. Because once they start taking advantage of that and abusing that, as they already have started doing, I'd, I'd be so bold as to say they started doing it on day one. Then, you know, the, there go the rest of your rights. Eventually it goes down to like soon, you will be politically dissuaded from voting from someone voting for someone you know like so it's 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 a slippery slope it's a very slippery slope i think and we've already see them not even try we've already seen them successfully usurp uh the checks and balances present in our system don't get me wrong i love the u.s i think it's a great country it's got a lot of culture it's got a lot of great people here but i don't want to see that lost What were you going to say? Well, I mean, I think that's fair. More so, I was even going to throw in just, you know, it's one thing if it is the government that's taking whatever it is that you're sending, receiving, etc. But um, I mean, just as easily, it could be somebody who is not affiliated with the government and who has some really malicious intent. And oh, yeah, absolutely. Just as big, if not a larger issue. Yeah. If you are on the wireless networks and cafes, Starbucks, I'm looking at you or any of that kind of crap. Often you really need to be extra sensitive to security because yeah. that's where the that's where the, you're going to find your attack vectors. Yeah. And, you know, even even if you're interested in setting up like a personal VPN so that you can securely browse because you want to work at the coffee shop down the street, join our IRC channel. Ask us because it's something we've both done enough times at this point. What, VPN? Yeah. I'd be willing to help somebody if they wanted help setting up a VPN. You might have to, because my NDA might prohibit me from doing that. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. If you don't want to set your own up, by the way, get foxyproxy.org. We do offer very competitively priced personal VPNs. So there's that route too. So if you if you don't want to take the time to set it up, because some people don't. Yeah, and that's okay. I mean, if that's if, fine. If you'd rather pay someone to do it for you, whatever. We will. I'll, I will gladly do it for you. But I don't think I'll be able to just help any any person that comes into our channel or or maybe condone that. But I will say that if you want to do it yourself and you want it badly enough, you will figure out how to do it. 
anyway, I guess I guess that's that on that topic. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think GPG in general is... One of the things I loved about Pigeon in the XMPP stack is it had a GPG plugin that you could operate over XMPP, which yes. was actually, by the way, part of the XMPP standard, I believe. I think it was one of the XEPs, which are which are basically RFCs for the XMPP protocol. Right. I think it was one of the formal XEPs to, to have GPG like incorporated into the protocol tightly. So I'm not sure if that's true or not, but in either case, um, we should try that plugin out. I, I did. I was using it the whole time we were talking. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was half of the conversation. I know. Do you remember the uh, the little icon where yeah, it says, I, you know, this user can... Well, and, um, you know, in part, it might have been because we were using... Um, what was it that we had on our phone for XMPP? Oh, um... I need to I need to check my phone's applications now. Hold on. I know what you're talking about, though. Zabber. Okay, yeah. I don't have it on this phone since I got a new one. Zabber, by the way, XMPP Android client. It's pretty cool. It's pretty extensive. There's a lot of options. Yeah, but I don't think it supports GPG. Although it might now if you've got APG installed. AP, APG is uh, the Android GPG software. There's, there's a couple others, but APG is probably the best rated. I still am, am very wary about uh, keeping GPGs on my phone. Uh, GPG, you know, private keys on my phone. But I mean, I guess if I made a, I don't know how APG supports subkeys. I could make a subkey specifically for my phone. That way I could revoke it easily or just make a, a whole key and then keep a, a revoke, revocation certificate or something. But I'm, I'm babbling. There's a lot of fancy things you can do with GPG. You basically become a certificate authority of yourself and it's really cool. You know, that being said, XMPP is pretty, pretty awesome as well. You can do a lot of things with it. It's a very extensive protocol. We will be talking more about that in the future too. We have yeah, a, that's going to definitely go on our list of topics if it's not on there already yeah i i believe it's on there not specifically but i i know that when we talk about chat protocols that's going to be like the first thing i talk about because I'm, I'm in love with it there was one more thing i wanted to talk about this episode oh keyboard layouts yeah i much to the confusion and consternation and sometimes interest of people around me use uh dvorak sometimes i switch between dvorak and qwerty by the way the official name for the qwerty keyboard layout the shoals layout named after the original creators shoals and glidden so qwerty's like in the US, QWERTY's everywhere. You walk up to any keyboard and you, you just, it's, it's a QWERTY keyboard. I have a couple reasons for liking Dvorak. It's, it is, in fact, a lot easier on my wrists because it's, you don't need to stretch your fingers as much. When you're typing fast, your your fingers are flying all over the keyboard in a, in a QWERTY layout. But in Dvorak, it's, they'll move outside of the home row maybe once every word or two. So it's, it's a much more efficient keyboard layout. And because of that, if you've got like repetitive strain injury or arthritis or tendonitis, or carpal tunnel syndrome, any of those things where your range of mobility may be limited or painful, especially in your wrists or fingers and, or hands in general, I would recommend learning Dvorak. If you if you don't know how to already touch type or you are really committed to it, learn Dvorak. I'm kind of re-going through it because I want to maybe use it a little bit more than I currently do. I only do it if I'm doing, if I'm going to be typing for like long stretches of time and I usually don't have to do that. But then there's also a, uh, a third, there's many keyboards layouts but the a third popular popular in quotes uh, a third popular one is called Colmac. It kind of tries to be between QWERTY, the Scholes layout, and Dvorak. It's supposed to have the same goals as Dvorak, where its its letters are grouped together for a more efficient typing, for a, a less painful typing experience. But it's also a little bit closer to QWERTY. So if you're used to the Scholes layout, you might want to, and you've been touch typing for like years, and you've got like, you know, like a, a 80 to 120 
words per minute rate already on QWERTY, on Shoals, then you might want to start with Colmac because you're probably going to have an easier time picking that up. And then maybe switch from Colmac to Dvorak, you know, whatever. But yeah, it's like the easy mode Dvorak. And there are a lot of typing resources for, a lot of like tutor devices for Dvorak. There's Dvorak NG, which is in probably just about every Linux distribution. It's based on a program called Dvorak 7 Minute. And we'll be linking to all of these. And Dvorak 7 Minute is, I mean, it's showing its age. It's it's kind of older there. If you use KDE, there's Clavaro with a K and KTouch. If you want a website website interface, there's Dvorak.nl, typeyourway.com, programmerdvorak.appspot.com. There are, by the way, like a couple different variations of Dvorak. Like there's like a one-handed variant. So if you're missing your left hand, you can type, you have a much better range of typing with your right hand in the, in the right-handed Dvorak layout, vice versa for the left. There's a programmer layout where if you do a lot of C development and things like that, you may find the programmer to Dvorak layout infinitely superior to, to a Scholl's layout because it's, it's designed, you know, specifically for programmers to use. Uh, there's the, um, oh, and there's G-Typist. G-Typist is my personal favorite. It runs on N-Curses, so it's, it's you know, desktop agnostic. I found it to be a lot more, it's a lot more strict than Dvorak NG, which I like because that forces me to learn. I can't just skip to the next lesson and be like, oh, whatever, you know, I'll revisit it. You have to get a, you have to get below 3% error rate on G-Typist to continue. And I, I like that because, you know, that forces me to like retake the lesson and, and try it again and try it again until I actually manage to improve myself. And G-Typist also supports a lot of keyboard layouts. It supports Dvorak, it supports Shoals, it supports foreign language, you know, foreign keyboards, it supports it's Colmac. I think I might have mentioned Colmac already. You know, it, it, it supports a lot of different keyboard layouts too. And it's pretty easy to write your own too. So it's it's uh, it's really great. I, I can't talk much about that. And if you just want to learn QWERTY touch typing too, you know, the Scholes touch typing, uh, it's fantastic for that as well. And uh, we will be posting in the show notes, I will be posting in the show notes, um, so inst instructions on how to change over to other keyboard layouts such as the Dvorak in whatever operating system you may choose in case you want to give that a try. Just remember that if you have to uh, type something to get to that setting, you may not know where the new keys are, so you may not be able to switch back. So you might want to pull up like an image of the keyboard layout and print it out beforehand so you know where the keys are. So so there's that. I don't know, that's, that's all I have to talk about. Do you have anything to talk about? No, I mean, this was a, a pretty good episode. I'm glad we talked about a little GPG stuff. Yeah, it was, it was grinding my gears. I'm sure that we will have a more formal episode with talks about encryption and stuff like that. Yeah, encryption in general, I think we'll talk a lot more about. That's about all I got. I, I don't think I'm going to be talking about GPG specifically in the future so much. I love it. I mean, I, I think it's I, I think it's fantastic, but I just, I think I've already said as much as I can politically about it. Not so much like usage and things like that, but politically, I think I've said everything I can about it. So just keep an eye out for uh, for that tutorial we'll do over the summer for it. Sounds good. This is Brent. I'm Jonathan. And this has been Sysadministrivia. See you next time.